I like to think that I'm the kind of person who doesn't struggle with a ton of FOMO. It's rare that I feel especially bummed about missing out on a party or big event. I generally don't get very jealous about being left out of a trend. I have my own frustrations with Instagram, but they're not really tied up in comparison culture or the fear of missing out. I'm not immune to FOMO, but it's just not a big problem for me. Okay, but here's a question. Can you experience FOMO in reverse, like retroactively? Because I think that's kind of what happened to me when I read the book we're talking about on episode 93. I didn't read it when I was a teen myself, and I'm super bummed about it. I feel like I would have been a cooler kid if I did read it back in my high school days. The book in question is the first title in Allie Carter's Gallagher Girl series. I'd tell you I love you, but then I'd have to kill you. It was originally published in 2006, and if I'd come to it back then, I would have been fangirling hard. Well, I'm still kind of fangirling hard, but you know what I mean. I'd Tell You I Love You But Then I'd Have to Kill You introduces us to the students of Gallagher Academy, aka the Gallagher Girls, who may appear to simply be gifted teens, but are actually spies in training. They're learning about covert operations and combat and the languages and cultures of the world. They're cool. But what happens when Gallagher girl Cammie Morgan starts crushing on Josh, a boy from the world outside the academy? Can she use her spy skills to pursue a relationship with him? Can she fit in among teens who don't speak 15 languages fluently? Does she even want to fit in with them? Can she maintain her close bonds with her Gallagher girl besties while trying on a fling with Josh? And what will happen when Josh finds out the truth about her life? As you might imagine, all of these questions are explored in this book, and there are plenty of fun spy gadgets and awesome girl friendships along the way. My guest on today's episode was obsessed with Gallagher Girls when she was a teen herself, so we spent a lot of time in the coming hour chatting about why she loved it and how it fueled her feminism before she even knew she was a feminist. We also talk about why we love boarding school stories, why main characters like Cammie are so relatable, and the beauty of being truly seen for the first time when you're a teenager. We go on Harry Potter and Gilmore Girls tangents, which are a lot of fun, and I pitch an alternate ending to I'd tell you I love you, but then I'd have to kill you. Allie Carter, if you're listening, you know better than I do, obviously. Today's guest is Phoebe Wright, an actor and reader living in the New York City area. She has always loved stories and storytelling in all forms, but books are the great love of her life. She is drawn to authentic characters and engaging writing, which is why she started her blog. Read and Write began as a creative outlet from the stressors of the entertainment business and has become a fantastic labor of love. Check it out at www.readandwrite.com, and that's right spelled W-R-I-G-H-T. And follow Phoebe on Instagram at readandwrite or on Twitter at readandwrite2. Follow SSR on Instagram and Twitter at SSRpod, and on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. Social media is a great way to spread the word about podcasts you love, so don't hesitate to share the episodes you're enjoying. You can also spread the word by leaving a five-star rating or review on iTunes. Podcasters talk about this all the time because it really does make a difference. I appreciate each and every one of those ratings and reviews, so a big thanks goes out to you if you've left one. A big thanks also goes out to all of my Patreon supporters. Patreon is a platform that allows you to contribute a few dollars every month to SSR's production in exchange for rewards like SSR merch, bonus episodes, newsletters, book club chats, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more details. This week's episode is brought to you by the Girl Means Business Podcast. On each episode, host Kendra and her awesome guests share business and marketing tips, along with some much-needed honest conversations about what it means to be a boss babe balancing a business while raising a family. Some of you probably know that in September of 2016, I left what I was pretty sure was my dream job in book publishing to strike out on my own as a full-time freelance writer, editor, and content manager. I never could have anticipated some of the twists and turns that came with leaving a corporate career and building a network of hustles and passion projects that would ultimately become a profitable, fulfilling work life. And I wish I'd had the Girl Means Business podcast to help me out back then. If you're already an entrepreneur or are dreaming of starting a side hustle, you're going to want to listen to Kendra's show. I shared a few episode titles with you on last week's episode, but here are a few more. Creating space for creativity and inspiration. Don't let fear stand in your way. How to handle failure in your business. These are all super important topics for anyone getting ready to start a business, launch a passion project, or work a side hustle. You can tune into new episodes every Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed so you get notified when new episodes go live. And check out the Girl Means Business Facebook group for bonus materials and more in-depth conversations. Thanks so much to Kendra and the Girl Means Business Podcast for sponsoring this episode of SSR. Okay, listeners, time to take a little trip to the Gallagher Academy. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. 
What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old-school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Phoebe. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You introduced me to a really fun book. I think that I sort of like missed the window on this book. So listeners were talking about the first book in the Gallagher Girls series. I'd tell you I love you, but then I'd have to kill you. Great title, but a little bit of a mouthful. And it came out in 2006 and I was 16 in 2006. So I feel like I maybe just like was a little too old to pick it up. I was such a snob when I was a teen, which I think we've established on the podcast podcast before where like when I was 16 I was like oh I couldn't possibly read YA unless it's Harry Potter because then of course I'll make an exception so yeah I'd never read Gallagher Girls when I was a teen and a few people have suggested it for the podcast and I'm so glad that you gave me the final push to finally pick it up I'd love for you to share more about your personal history with this series and why you brought it to my attention Okay. I was obsessed with this series. I think I learned about it from like Teen Vogue or something. I was 12 when I first read it. I I mean, obviously, like I loved the title, but I went to private school my whole life. So the original covers were, it was like a... You couldn't see her face, but it was a girl with like a plaid skirt and a blazer on. And it was very much like what I wore. So I remember seeing the cover and I was like, oh, like this sounds right up my alley. And I talk about all the time how like I, before I knew what feminism was, I was a feminist (laughs) because I loved Harry Potter, like loved Harry Potter books, but it was the story of a boy. And I think I loved this book so much because it was like Harry Potter, but a girl sort of like not the magical elements. So it was one of those series that like I like stalked Allie Carter's website. She was really, really active on it. And so I would stalk it to like, when's the next one coming out? And I'm definitely going to go back and reread all of them now after this reread. So yeah, I guess it's like a, it's an all girls school for spies and It's just, it's so self-aware and funny, but just like cool. It's one of my very favorite series. I echo everything that you just said. Um, I had a lot of fun reading it. I'm sort of tempted to binge the rest of the series myself. Listeners, just for a little context, Phoebe and I are talking right now in the thick of social distancing and self-quarantining around COVID-19. And so I have the time and I really need something (laughs) to distract me. And this could be just the thing. And um, I've been having a lot of trouble focusing on reading lately. And Mm -hmm. this Gallagher Girls book was a great thing to just kind of like ease me back into the rest of my reading that I want to do and that I have to do. So I had some similar Harry Potter oriented thoughts. I think I was also a big Harry Potter fan and I did have moments when I was reading this book where I kept kind of thinking that I was in a Hogwarts world. It was weird. Like there's a scene um, about halfway through the book, I think, where the main character, Cammy is talking about going out into like the woods or the grounds around the school. And I had this like instinct where I was like, oh no, like there's lots of scary monsters in the woods. Like you need to have Hagrid to protect you. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm fully bought into this in the same way that I was fully bought into the Harry Potter world. But for some reason, I'm getting them confused. So that was just an interesting observation that I had as a Harry Potter fan reading this for the first time. Yeah, and definitely that, like, they take covert operations, and that was, like, very much, like, defense against the dark arts. Totally. Um, And Mr. Solomon is very much, like, the serious black Professor Lupin type of character. And similarly, towards the end, when they realize one of Cammie's friends comes up to her, because Cammie's mom is the headmistress of the school. So they're like, your mom approved us to go into the village. And I was like... Like, going to Hogsmeade. <laughs> Let's go get some butterbeer. Yeah, but they just, like, go to the movies and go to the pharmacy and get, like, a Coke. Like, it's just, it's it gives you, like, that, like, 
immersion into like a secret world that Harry Potter does, but like on a very realistic scale because there could be spy school out there. Who knows? And I think Allie Carter got the inspiration from this by watching Alias. And she was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, which you know when you read the book because there's lots of Buffy references. And so she loved the idea of like, well, how do like someone like Jennifer Garner's character on Alias, like how do you learn all of those skills? And like, could you learn them at a young age? And it was in the the height of the, um, like I read the, uh, the Charlie Bones series which was sort of like in another like sort of like it was like let's take this success of like a boarding school lifestyle that kids especially american kids love from harry potter and like adapt it and it's viewed other ways so yeah there's yeah. something about reading about a boarding school that i mean there's nothing better especially when you're a teenager and even as an adult i i eat it up i love mm-hmm. it prep is one of my favorite books of all time i've read it like six seven times and at every point in my life when i've read that book i am obsessed with this idea of a prep school of a boarding school um, and we get that in spades in this first Gallagher Girls book. I will also say that I think it's worth noting the book is published by Hyperion which is a Disney company and this book really feels Disney to me. I mean there were a lot of moments where I was like I want to be on this ride. I want to go to Disney World and like be in this experience of like being in this class. Like I wish that Disney World had a Gallagher Academy experience where like you got to go in and like be on these adventures or see some of the things that are described in this book. Um, I think sometimes you lose a little bit of that Disney element in the books, but this isn't even, you know, like a well-known Disney franchise or Disney property, but I like felt the Disney magic in this book. It was actually optioned for film too. And I'm an actor, so I... I've, oh, I, mean, I always was involved in theater and I wanted, you know, to make it big in film and stuff as a kid. And I love, like, I, I was like, I am Cammy. Like this idea of like being someone like a regular girl, like she calls her, like her nickname and her, um, her, uh, her spy name, what they use like over their comms unit is chameleon because she's, she blends in. And I was like that, I just was always like, I get it. I, I am, I'm not the, the showstopper friend. I'm not the smart friend. And I am the just the one that's like there, like fading into the background. But that's where I was happiest. And so it never has never been made into a movie. And my lifelong goal is to do what Reese Witherspoon does and turn books uh, by women into TV shows and movies. And my goal is to make this into the film universe because I just think it would resonate with so many young girls to be like, see 14 to 16 year olds in these high pressure situations, but then still getting excited over a boy. Like it's just so good. (laughs) I think she really strikes the right balance of having teenagers in an extraordinary situation that readers would not be able to relate to at all, but also dealing with these like very quote unquote normal issues, tackling things that pretty much any reader will have to or has already tackled in their life. And I I think it's hard to strike that balance. I've seen it done successfully and very unsuccessfully in my time doing SSR. And (laughs) I think that Allie Carter does a really good job of that in this book. And for what it's worth, what I've read about the film journey of, of this book, it's been up and down. Like it was optioned by Disney immediately. And then after a few years, the option ran out and then they sold it, I think in 2013 to like some upstart production company and nothing has happened since. So who knows? It could be you someday. (laughs) I think I may have aged out of, I I think I've got like three more years that I could possibly play a high school student, but I'm, I'm holding out for it because I just, and especially in the later, like this one is very, I always feel like this book is really different from the other books in the rest of the series because we do get more immersed in like the spy side of things as opposed to this one which is about like taking the skills they learn at spy school and using them in an everyday sort of way as opposed to like a high pressure mission but there is like one character a new boy is introduced in I think it's the second book if you read the epilogue that's um who we were getting from the voice uh, there who is like I think it was the besides Harry Potter was like my ultimate book boyfriend as a kid I was like ooh, Zach (laughs) 
Well, I found one blogger who reviewed the full series um, in in 2015, and um, she comes to her readers and she says, disregard my review of the first book. I mean, don't disregard it, but don't give up after it because it becomes amazing. So she's speaking about the series as a whole. Um, I did not find her original review of the first book of the book you and I read, but it does seem like she had like mixed feelings about that book. I think she gave this like a 3.75 stars, which is very specific, Um, but she's now gone on to give this series as a whole five stars and um, she talks about how some of the characters become more developed and it it sounds like you said that there's more spy stuff. I actually was happy that there wasn't as much spy stuff in this book because as listeners know I don't always do so great with like the action um, Mm. in books. I really love like the interpersonal stuff and like the relationships and the characters and we get a lot of that in this book so Mm. I'm glad that this was my introduction to the series. I think I may have struggled getting into it if it was all spy action all the time but I think that I could handle a little bit more spy details. And I also wanted to learn more about like the school. We, what we don't get as much of is like we get bits and pieces of the legend of Gillian Gallagher, who uh, who the school is named for. And there's clearly some really interesting folklore about her. And I like that there's some revisionist history throughout the book where like clearly Allie Carter is like, oh, and Gillian Gallagher was there like when Lincoln was shot. And like she was there at all these pivotal moments in American history. But I wanted to learn more about her like as a human. And um, I yeah. wish that I wish that we'd gotten that in the first book, but maybe later in the series. So in her, um, on her website, I don't think she updates it the way that she used to. Like people would like had, there was like a section for like fan fiction on there, but people always asked for a Gilly Gallagher prequel to sort of like how, when the school was founded and all of that. So you're not the only one who feels that way. I would have really liked that a lot. Um, I also wanted to call out a quote that I found from Allie Carter's agent, or at least her agent, as of 2013, when the last book in the series was coming out, she said to Publishers Weekly, it's much more sisterhood of the traveling pants than it is A-list or the click, girls behaving badly. And I, I think that that's really worth mentioning because I think that in the early to mid-aughts, there was this trend probably fueled by shows like Laguna Beach and The Hills and The O.C. There's almost a reliance on like the mean girl trope of like, Mm. we're just going to be a bunch of girls that are all rich and wealthy and snobby and we're going to flaunt that and there's always going to be an outsider and that's just kind of going to be the world in which our book characters live. And I really love that Allie Carter stepped outside of that and this is not a mean girls vibe. It really is like a return to Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants where it's really like a friendship story and in that way I think it's like a girl power story too beyond the fact that they're just like awesome butt kicking spies they also have these awesome I keep saying the word awesome but it's awesome (laughs) they have these awesome friendships that are supporting them through their adventures yeah um and I I one of my favorite portions of this book is the I guess the quote-unquote like redemption of Macy where like Macy enters and she's like the tough rich girl and like she doesn't belong there and they don't want but like she ends up being it's like she has this mask on because she is so insecure but she's not a mean girl at all and I I really love that because Macy ends up becoming later on this series one of my very favorite characters I wanted more Macy. Yeah, that's what I, it's like almost, it's only, it's like 298 pages. I think that's how long this book is. And so much happens in those barely 300 pages. And I think it's one of the the privileges I think we have of rereading books that we loved when we were younger, because I just remember like, this was a book that I tore through. And I, like I said, I waited for the next books to come out and now rereading it as an adult, I realize how much further you could explore so many elements in this story. And, um, I always, like, Bex is amazing. Like she's so, so cool. And I love that Cammie like acknowledges that because I think we, that's how it's such a real feeling for a teenage girl to be like, my best friend is so much cooler than me. And like, (laughs) I'm along for the ride, but like, look how cool she is. And I, I love that. And I love their relationship, but Macy is like, she's us. She's the one that's grounded in reality. She didn't grow up knowing what this spy Academy is. She has no relationship to it. So it's really cool to walk in her shoes for a little bit. Yeah, I thought that she was going to be a bit more of a power player in this book only because 
Her arrival at Gallagher Academy is kind of like the first big moment in the book. So there's this code red at the school, which basically means that all these, again, very Disney-esque things happen with like moving walls and flipping bookshelves. And the school goes from being this like very unique and cool spy academy to just like your standard, very privileged looking prep school, um, because that's what happens when new potential students show up because like they're not sort of putting out there that we're a spy academy. They're putting out there like, oh, come to our school. We're for the most brilliant girls in the country. Mm-hmm. So when Macy and her family show up, there's the code red. And then Cammie, our main character, and Bex, one of her best friends, they're the ones who have to give her a tour. And, you know, they were setting her up as sort of this, like, foil to everybody at the school. She has her black combat boots. And that's always a symbol of something in these vinyl yeah. rugs. When the black <laughs> combat boot comes out of the car, you know exactly what you're dealing with. And she um, is very apathetic. Pathetic. She's not interested in any of the cool things that Bex and Cammie are showing her. She has a lot of weird weight lines, which I don't love. Like she talks about how she only consumes like 800 calories a day. Yeah. That comes up a couple of times, which I did not love. Even Cammie fed into it a little bit. There's one line I think where she's talking about how like running from downtown all the way back to school is like her karmic punishment for eating both a funnel cake and a corn dog at the carnival and listeners know that that's never really my favorite thing but yeah Macy has just this attitude that she's very cool but I think it would have been really easy for Allie Carter to take that other step and make her mean Mm -hmm. and she's not she's just like kind of stepping back observing what's happening to her in this new environment she's not ready to jump in she's like feeling her way with this new social group and uh, she has a lot to adjust to also I mean I can't imagine going from the kind of school that she probably went to before to like a place where she's expected to go do covert operations and speak 14 languages. Yes. And especially because it's noted from her parents that like, this is her last option of schools because she's either like she, I I have always thought that Macy like did things to purposely get kicked out of her schools because she wasn't happy there and she didn't feel like she fit in and she was desperate. Like she's the daughter of a politician, which I know you did an episode on um, All American Girl. Yeah. One of my faves by Meg Cabot. And just like the, the pressure that any young person has by being in the public eye like that, like her family's on the cover of Newsweek and we see that, um, in, uh, it's brought up twice. Um, where then one time she actually is in the vicinity of the magazine and like a stranger's like, Oh my God, like you're important. <laughs> and I think that she, she finds her, her, her tribe. She finds where she belongs in this high pressure spy school because all of a sudden, like the, the tough side of her can flourish in a positive way. It's like almost like kids who need like the structure of like a military academy. And all of a sudden they're like, this is just what I've been missing in my life. So I'm a big Macy fan. And I, I, so 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 love that she never was the mean girl and we don't really have like a mean girl character in this book it is very much about friendship and being there for your friends especially the part that always hits me is when Bex's father who's she's also the daughter of spies when her father is it's noted that he's missed a a check-in he had like he's on a mission and he didn't check in with um MI6 and Cammie immediately is like, don't tell her. Like, I don't want her to, if, if we don't know that something's wrong, I don't want her to worry about it. And like, that's set, that takes such strength and maturity for like, that I don't think I could even do. Like, I'd be like, oh my gosh, like I'm freaking out. Like you need to freak out too. And it's just like a lovely sacrificial moment. <laughs> yeah. There isn't really a moment where the girls at Gallagher Academy turn against each other. It's very much the Gallagher girls against the world. And sometimes that mm-hmm. bites them in the butt a little bit. And we see that throughout the book. Like they definitely have to learn how to better interact with the outside world but the only times that they really get frustrated with each other are in these like really like stressful emotional interpersonal conflicts that I think are very reasonable places for there to be tension brewing so yeah I agree with you I think that all of the relationships feel very positive I'm anxious to hear more about Macy if I read the rest of the series (laughs) I I also wanted to note, this is potentially one of my favorite first lines, first paragraphs of a book that I've read in a long time, so I wanted to share it. I suppose a lot of teenage girls feel invisible sometimes, like they just disappear. Well, that's me, Cammie the Chameleon, but I'm luckier than most because at my school, that's considered cool. New paragraph. I go to a school for spies. Yeah. (laughs) It's so good. 
Yeah, I think that was the blurb um, that was in Teen Vogue that I saw that I was like, wait a second. I was like, mom, take me to the bookstore right now. I need this. I love the cover art with the letters cut out. So sort of like from like the, uh, I guess like the, like the. Like a ransom ser- note. Yeah, ransom note. That's what I'm thinking. I was like, it's not serial killers. <laughs> but it's just, it's very, it marketed, I think, to itself very well. It had a very loyal fan base. Every time I mention it now, people are like, oh, I love that book. Um, I posted it on my Instagram today when you tagged me and one of my friends was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. I loved this book as a teenager. And I think it just, it does, it did for the most part on this reread, it held up for me, like nothing. There are a few things that disappointed me that I don't think in 2020 would, it's not okay to say, um, especially, so there, there's a, one of their teachers, Mr. Smith, he comes back every summer with different plastic surgery because he, like they, she throws in these lines of like, he's wanted on three continents or something like, and, but he likes to enjoy his summer vacations. So he changes his appearance. And then she says he hasn't come back as a woman yet. And so a couple of things, like, I think she mentions like a sex change or something like that. I'm like, that's not, that's not something that is okay now because there are people who obviously are going through that for very real reasons. So those, like, those are really the only, like a very few things. And like the weight comments that you mentioned, um, for the most part, nothing let me down on this reread. I'm so happy. That's the last thing that anyone needs right now is to be let down by one of their childhood (laughs) favorites. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely like, it just, it, uh, it held up and it made me remember why it like stuck with me so much and why I still want to be in the movie. <laughs> Disney, if you're listening, cast yeah. Phoebe. We need we need some involvement. I do think though that like the loyal fan base and that like amazing marketing campaign that you were talking about, that's the Disney machine too. I mm-hmm. mean I think that they just like know what they're doing no matter what the medium is. And I'm sure look, Ali Carter is a great writer and this the voice of this book is fantastic and I'm sure that it would have done well no matter where it ended up. But I think the fact that it had Disney pushing it along the way and just like making such a big splash probably has something to do with how much people love it because Disney just like has that special sauce that they put on everything they do. Yeah, they know what to pull out to make a great story thrive and make people want to pick it up. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk a little bit more about Cammy because she's obviously the heart of the story. You've already shared that you connected with her as a teen. And I think that almost any teen reader is going to connect with her at some level. Um, She has a personality, but it's not a super strong personality, which I think is always a clever trick on the part of a YA author because it allows any teen reader to sort of like insert themselves into the mind of that character Mm -hmm. um, and be like, I see just like a a shred of myself in her. I think almost anybody could identify that in Cammie because she's not, she's not like a super strong anything. Like she's just, she sort of feels like she's just chugging along at school and everybody can relate to that at some point. But I also, like, I think she sees herself as so uncool and kind of lame compared to her classmates. And at the same time, like, we as readers, we see her as somebody who goes to a spy school who's who's also, like, the daughter of two amazing spies. Like, her mom is, like, this hot headmistress who clearly (laughs) has done some really cool stuff in her life. We don't know what happened to her dad, but her dad seems to have died in some top-secret mission at some point. Um, She gets to spend the summers at a ranch in Nebraska, like, She's a really interesting character, I think, by anybody's estimation who maybe doesn't live in this world. Um, and so, I don't know, I kept sort of having to catch myself being like, oh, at least in her mind, like, she's not cool. And maybe, I mean, maybe sort of in the social hierarchy of Gallagher Girls or the Gallagher Academy, like, she's not at the top of the of the heap. But I was like, I think she's really cool. And, and I think that that sort of mimics the way it is in real life. So much of the time as a teenager like you think that nobody notices you you think that you're just kind of like smack in the middle of the social hierarchy you're smack in the middle of whatever activity you're interested in but other people perceive you as being amazing and cool and fun and pretty and smart and brilliant and wonderful and all of those things yeah one of my favorite things so the the premise of this book is that she is like she encounters a real normal boy and she's never had a first kiss before and she's just like this is it. Like he sees her like literally like she's on a, like in a, in class on a mission and he notices her and she's like, no one notices me. I'm the chameleon. And that like full feeling of being a teenager and being like, wait a second, like you see me, like you think I'm special that like, honestly, I kind of feel like she doesn't even have, there's no time to develop real feelings for this guy 
especially based off of like how they see each other, how often they see each other. They're not talking on the phone. They're not emailing. Right. But the, the like intoxicating factor of like being 16 and someone thinking that you are special. And all of a sudden you're like, everyone move to the side. I am tunnel vision on you. And I think that's where a couple of the issues with her friends come from because they're like, wait a second, like, don't forget about us. But one of my very favorite lines is when she says to Josh, um, that that he's like, why didn't you tell me about your dad? Like you didn't tell me that you could just tell me that your dad died. And she has said, it's classified. I was like, Oh, like, I think that's one of my favorite things about this series is that like throwing in lines like that is just so like you're immediately like right spy you do really cool important things you're learning how to do these cool important things (laughs) and they're speaking totally different languages yes and I also love that they like talk about how many like languages they can speak and like in their dining hall it's like oh look up like look up at the sign like what language are we speaking today and like today is conversational mandarin yeah wow like your brain has to move so quick but within like these very real feelings of your first love and your first kiss and like when he remembers her fake birthday so cute he gets her corsage for it i pulled out one (laughs) quote sort of to your point about how she finally feels like somebody sees her she says i'd never felt less invisible in my life i forgot about bex and macy and their great bodies Liz and her gorgeous blonde hair. Even my mother faded from my mind as I saw myself through Josh's eyes. For the first time in a long time, I didn't want to disappear. So, so important. I I love that there's life lessons like that that are so important for young people to read. And like, I just, I wonder like, like if I could go back with hindsight, like what confidence did I gain from Cammy? And like, I do feel like she taught me a lot because clearly I'm now 27 years old and it's been, okay, this came out in 2006. So it's been 16 years, not 16, 14, 14, yeah. 14 years fast since math. I read <laughs> fast math. <laughs> I'm an actor people. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been 14 years since I read this for the first time. And the last one came out in 2013. I was in college then my fiance sister and I, first connected because she loved these books too. And so we were like waiting for, um, Nick and I started dating in 2012. And when the third, when it came out, like we went and bought it together and like read it at the same time. Like she's been, Cammy's been a part of like my journey from literally middle school to young adulthood. And she's obviously stuck with me the whole time. I love that. I love that you connected with your future sister-in-law over her. Yeah. And she's definitely, like, we both were really different people and we both were like, oh yeah, like Cammie is like, she's me. So I think that speaks to what you were saying that like, there's, it's like a secret. I never even would have noticed that, that she doesn't really have a strong personality. Yeah. Um, there's just enough, like, I think what's really special about her is her voice. Like her voice is really distinct and unique, but we don't find out like what she's into, what she likes. I don't know if, I, I can't really tell if like, if she's funny, if she's serious. I really don't have that clear of a read on her beyond the fact that she has like a clever, snappy voice as a narrator, mm-hmm. but that's kind of it. Like we know that she's insecure and feels invisible a lot of the time. And and I think everybody can see that and be like, oh yeah, that's totally me. I've totally been there. Yeah, it's very true. And I'm grateful to your your keen eye as reading so many YA books as an adult to pick up on something like that. (laughs) So many YA books. I don't think I can take credit for that. I think probably some other wonderful guests at some point pointed out to me and I was like, oh, that can probably be said for a lot of the books I read for the podcast. (laughs) Shout out to whoever that guest was. Um, (laughs) Something else that I I kind of drew a parallel with when I was reading the book and I think also sort of put Cammie into even clearer context for me was when Cammie and Josh meet for the first time during Cammie's covert operations class mission out at the carnival in their town, there were some Rory and Dean vibes for me. I don't know if you're a Gilmore Girls fan. Oh, I can only assume that you are. Oh, <laughs> yes. And you're, you're a, big book, a big bookworm. I felt like they were very much Rory and Dean, like sort of the, the awkwardness with which they approach each other. She makes an awkward joke about like having a cat because she can't think of anything else to say. He's immediately taken with her and there's this feeling that he's like observing her just like Dean was when he meets Rory and 
season one of Gilmore Girls. And throughout the book, like even in the way he was talking about his mom, like his mom is this very sort of like conventional mom and he comes from a very traditional family and Cammie comes from a family that looks a little bit different and her mom is single and and doing different things than maybe a lot of other moms do. Um, And so I felt like that divide between the two of them also spoke to me the way that Dean and Rory's relationship did. And so then I started thinking about Cammie a little bit like Rory and that kind of tracked for me too because Rory is also sort of like a mellow personality, especially early on. We learn more about her throughout the series, but um, she's not like a super strong character at the beginning, Mm -hmm. other than the fact that we just like love her and want to be like her. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And I will say that later on the series, we do have a Jess. (laughs) Oh my gosh, everybody needs a Jess. I'm a team. I am team Jess. Like I, I, I never really cared. I liked, I liked Dean until they made him dumb for no reason. He wasn't dumb when they first introduced him. I was actually just having a conversation with my friend about this today. And like our, our quarantine FaceTime, we were talking about that. We were like, why did Dean get so dumb halfway through the series? Because he, when they meet, he's like reading War and Peace or something too. Like he's reading a big book. He, he was just like quiet. Anyway, that has always disappointed me. But Josh definitely is, I think, a, he's boy next door. He's not, he's equally, he's as special as Cammie makes him in her mind. I love that. Yeah, like he's not, I think we we get to, I love their email or um, the notes that they leave for each other. And I love how she interprets them because I know, like we say, like what, you know, boys say is what they mean. Like there's no hidden agenda here, but when you've got three spies interpreting your words and like how he like reveals a couple things to her and she, they call him, um, the subject and Cammy is the operative and like the subject reveals these things and it shows how like he truly is insecure, but he loves that Cammy is an outsider from his small town life so that he can connect with her on that because he can be open with someone who doesn't know his family the way that the entire town does. Cause his dad like owns the the big pharmacy in town that still has like a soda counter and it's been there since like 1938 or something and um I think that speaks to like I think of my high school boyfriends and if you're listening you know I still love you all very dearly (laughs) you're good friends but they were as special as I made them they you know no one we didn't have Prince William over here you know like yeah it was that that's what we do when we're young and I do think that there's something special when you're in high school about dating somebody who doesn't go to your school. Oh yeah. It was always so cool. So cool. And I think like the sense that we get that Cammie is an outsider to Josh, like not to keep going back to Gilmore Girls, but there's a similar thing too there where Rory goes to Chilton and isn't part of the daily ups and downs of Dean's life at Stars Hollow High. Um, And she, of course, is like a little bit more, well, a lot more embedded in the community of Stars Hollow than Cammie is in the community of Roseville. But there's still that sense of mystery. My first boyfriend went to a different school and I remember just like it felt so cool to be able to like imagine what his life was like at other mm-hmm. at his school and I don't know thinking about his school felt like an escape to me mentally where I was like oh like everything would just be better at that school a because he's there but b because I'm just sure it's more awesome than my school I don't know I just think there's like more room to play in your imagination when you choose to date somebody who goes to another school it's just a little bit more exciting and so both Cammie and Josh are experiencing that in different ways and to her yeah. being what we see as like quote quote unquote, again, normal is exciting. Like suburban life for her is like so fresh and new and unconventional. It's probably as exciting to her as being a spy might be to him or to another kid who lives like a sort of boring suburban life. Yeah. And a really important lesson that I learned from Cammie was that you are, you have like who you are is enough and what you live is enough because so like we were talking about like Laguna Beach and Gossip Girl and all like those shows, especially Laguna Beach made me always feel like my life was boring and inadequate. And I try, I was always like, I wanted to create this drama for myself because whoa, look at these kids in this high school. Like they're going to these crazy parties and like there's love triangles. I'm like, that's not happening 
happening in my life? Am I doing high school wrong? <laughs> and I always felt like they gave, they put so much pressure on me to be something that I wasn't. And especially at the end when Josh confronts Cammie and he's like, you could have just been yourself. Like, I understand keeping spy school a secret, but like you could have told me that you're, you had a single mom and that you, your dad died. Like you didn't have to make up the cat. Like I liked you for you and you lied to me. And like that lesson even hit me more as an adult, especially with like comparison culture. Like one of my friends today on Twitter was like, just remember everyone's isolation experience is going to be different. Like don't, (laughs) don't play the comparison game. And I was like, that is so, so true for us. Even now, like it's just so hard to see other people's lives and think the grass is greener when you just like living your life, like you'll feel so much better than trying so very hard to be someone you're not. Yeah. Social media is kind of the new high school or the new high school cafeteria. And yeah, I like what your friend tweeted or, or posted about everybody's isolation looking different. I was, I'm trying to stay away from social media as much as I can right now. Cause it's a little bit of the wild, wild west, but I I was looking at some, I don't know, I went down a rabbit hole and I was looking at all these like bachelor, bachelorette contestants and influencers and like their isolation looks so glamorous. I'm like, how (laughs) is your hair and makeup so great? And your apartment's so beautiful and furnished by, I don't know, whatever furniture companies sponsor them. And, but it's true, you know, even as adults, we find ways to compare ourselves to other people. And I think Cammy just wasn't quite sure how and if she could or should fit into Josh's world, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. One line that I found was, I had imagined where Josh would live, but my dreams paled in comparison to what I actually saw. It wasn't a real neighborhood. It was a TV neighborhood where lawns are manicured and porches are made for swings and lemonade. I had never seen so much suburban perfection in one place as I looked through the dim street light toward the long rows of white picket fence. Somehow I knew a spy would never belong there. And it's so interesting that like, she perceives this as not a real neighborhood because in her life it's not real. But if he were to go and see like her classroom, you know, these crazy classrooms at Gallagher Academy that are built for covert operations and countries of the world and all of these other interesting classes, he'd be like, well, this isn't real. But I think it's this idea that like what's, what's around you every day and what makes you comfortable is what's real to you. And Mm -hmm. that's not always the same for everyone. Yeah, definitely. I, (laughs) I can't, I hope you reread the series because you get to go to like sub level two, just comparing it, I guess, to the, the Harry Potter classes, like covert operations is almost like, like potions in the dungeon. Like it's really deep down in like the, this fortress of a school and those you get to learn a little bit more about them in, in the later books, but it's definitely like, yeah, like she, this is her everyday life. And so having secret passages and stuff like that doesn't, there's no thrill behind that to her, which is like fun to read about because like, I love the way that it's like sprinkled in, but I get like, we always want what we don't have. And I feel like she doesn't have two parents right now and her friends are all from spy families too. So she doesn't really have anyone who has this like foreign lifestyle besides Josh. Like when she meets his mom and she's like, I just want you to feel comfortable in her own home. And she's like, Oh wait, I can, the access that we would have. And it's like, that's where her mind jumps right. to instead of just being like, my boyfriend's mom like likes me and wants me to be happy in their home and like feel like I can come over. (laughs) Yeah. I think even in the comparison between the two moms that we get, I think there's something that a lot of kids can probably relate to, right? Where like the kid whose mom maybe doesn't have to work or chooses to work full time at home, taking care of a family, which is such a hard job. But the kid who has that maybe feels like their mom is around too much or Mm -hmm. feels like their mom is too available with pies and homemade food and, and would rather sort of get a glimpse of life as the child of a mom who like is around a little bit less and works outside the home. And then the child whose mom has to go to the office every day or chooses to go to the office every day sort of has this ideal of what it would be like to have your mom around all the time. So I think even, you know, we're talking about this bigger picture grass is greener idea, 
But Allie Carter, I think, hones in a little bit too on this like mom versus mom comparison, which Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting because it's something that I think a lot of kids can probably wrap their head around. Yeah, definitely. Like I think one of the best lines is when Josh says like, oh, my mom made 20 different types of banana bread and I had to taste every single one. And like, I can so relate to that because my mom is a big baker and like she would try to perfect recipes like that. But I'd be like, oh my God, mom, it's a banana bread. They all taste the same. I love, like, I think we, we mentioned like, the balance between really cool unheard of aspects with this spy school but then these like really relatable suburban moments that we've all had was there ever any part of you and you know you read it when you were a kid so I guess you kind of knew that this wasn't going to happen maybe you thought this when you were growing up and you read this for the first time but I had a moment about halfway through the book where I was like, maybe she's going to leave spy school. Like maybe she is going to be this first Gallagher girl that strikes out on her own, like maintains her tie to the spy community and to the Gallagher Academy because of her mom. Like I sort of had this whole other plot spinning out in my head where like maybe she still lives at the mansion where the school is because that's where her mom is. And so she still gets to hang out with Bex and Liz and all of her friends. And she still gets to like participate in some of the like cool spy stuff that goes on at the school. But she's also packing her backpack and going every day to the public high school. And I I thought like, wouldn't that be kind of turning a Harry Potter, for example, on its head where like you have the kid who's been admitted to this elite school and given a glimpse of this like very different existence but chooses not to take it I kind of was thinking that was going to happen because she kept mentioning how like this suburban life was beyond her wildest dreams and I I don't know I kept thinking like did she actually choose to be a Gallagher girl like yes she has amazing friends and she obviously has these parents that have set an amazing example for her but I just kept thinking like I don't know that she actually wants to be here and wouldn't it be sort of brave if she did what might be like the less cool seeming thing or like the less adventurous thing and just kind of like went and and did like the normal teen route yeah I definitely on this reread I never thought that I always say I'm not an investigative journalist I'm very I'm very much so someone that like give me the information yeah. and I will absorb it um I don't I like I think that's I don't really read a lot of thrillers because I don't really like to guess where I'm going I like to just take what I'm given and react to it but on this reread I kind of would have liked to see something like that and maybe like what would have happened if like if it was 50 pages longer and like if we had more of if we got to see her and Josh like try to have a relationship with this new information and if they could make the it work I read um I can't remember who the author is um but Secrets of My Hollywood Life was another series did you ever read those books? I didn't read it but I'm familiar with it yeah okay so it's like a, a famous actress who like goes into she's like I just want to be normal and I want to go into high school so I feel like I explored that idea sort of in that series but with this like I like we don't we don't meet Josh ever again like we see we get glimpses of him but he's not a main character further on to the series. So I, I I think that could have been a really interesting way to take it. And I like like I like that idea. Like, oh like would she have felt more herself or would she would it constantly then feel like now she's less than than her friends and all of that. So I think that's it's a really interesting idea. But I never I never thought that as a kid because I I loved the spy aspect of it. Like I, I wanted, I wanted more of that, I think, and more of like the school life. And that's my thing with Harry Potter too. Like my favorite one is the sixth book because it's the best school life in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you get them hanging out. Like the scene where Ginny is like leaning on Harry's leg, like reading <laughs> the daily prophet. I'm like, Oh, I can see myself doing that. Campus life. <laughs> yeah. Like that. I don't, it's, I think that's what makes books that, transport you into a fictional like a like a super fictional realm is that you get to think like how would I behave in this setting and like can I see myself walking around in this and I think because being in private school there are so many things that I could relate to with these characters on that level um like the the high pressure education and having people with famous parents around you like that uh and when you're like you're the headmistress's daughter, like that's your claim to fame. Like my mom was my ballet teacher. <laughs> so that's oh, that's as, cool. Um, so that's as close as I could get to that. It, it, I think that's what makes 
kids and young adults fall in love with series like this and want to continue following on with the characters. Yeah, a good school storyline is always helpful for that. Something that Ellie Carter comes back to time and time again in this book, and I've been thinking a lot about how I feel about it, because I have mixed feelings, I think. There's a lot of, like, regular girls are like this, but spies are like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's instructive to a point, because I think so much of what she's trying to teach is, like, your whole life can't be in a classroom. You have to get interpersonal skills. You can't just be so focused on, like, the things that you're interested in or, like, your career goals. Like, if you really want to be happy and a well-rounded human, you also have to, like, get out into the world and, like, get some real skills of working with other people and putting yourself out there. And obviously this is an extreme case of that because these girls are living in this sort of like isolated spy community. So I liked that that we saw the way that this sort of isolation and and this sort of like set apartness that these girls are experiencing maybe limited their worldview to an extent. And um, I I liked the fact that she was like, you know, it's important to like look outside of yourself and and being good at school isn't the most important thing. Because that was something that I was guilty of where I sort of was a later bloomer in terms of like building interpersonal relationships when I was a teenager because I was so focused on school and so focused on extracurriculars and so focused on being perfect all the time. So I liked the way that Allie Carter chose to show that lesson. But there was also part of me that felt like it was a little condescending to like normal girls because it was like I don't know you know we don't have time to worry about boys because we're too busy cracking codes and maybe I'm just too sensitive to it and maybe I spend too much time interpreting books for the podcast but it came up so many times that I wanted to ask you about it and see what you thought yeah no I definitely agree and I think that's something that we as adult women now can look back and recognize and how damaging that can be and every time I've reread a book that I read as a teenager, I've had moments like that. I think because I was in an all female like setting for my education, we definitely, I think I was guilty of that. Like the public school girls who went to school with boys, like we, like our Latin motto is Excelsior, which means ever higher. And our, our teachers would always say like ever higher ladies, except your skirts, like our skirts had to be a certain length. And so I definitely like, now I look back on some of the things that I thought and said about other young women. And it's like, that's not okay. And if I could go back, I would definitely wish I could like take back a lot of those things. I don't, I don't love that aspect of this book. Um, I really hate like the not like other girls mentality. Like that's one of my least favorite things. I'm like, we are all at the end of the day, we are all the same. And I don't know if that is like a, like a tool to be like, remember where we are. Like we may be like talking about flirting with boys, but like, remember we're still at spy school. We're still breaking codes. We still speak all these languages. And I think one of the things that makes me realize that those things or if Cammie's thinking them is not in a malicious way is how she treats Dee Dee. Worst name ever. Yeah, that made um, me sad. I was like, couldn't you have given her a different name? <laughs> yeah, like Dee Dee just sounds like an annoying girl. Dee Dee is like Josh's childhood friend who they discover wrote a love note to Josh or, you know, a note sort of showing that she has feelings for him, but he threw that out. And now they're like, they're really just friends, but Dee Dee clearly like wants more from their relationship. Yes. But Cammie doesn't, she doesn't try to put her down when the great scene where Cammie's mom and her teacher show up at this like townwide dance. And she's like, Oh my God, like I'm here with Josh. They don't know I'm here. And Dee Dee offers, she's like, well, I can go get Josh for you. And I, and like, see, like she, there's no like girl on girl maliciousness there. So I don't love that aspect of the writing, but I don't think it's a character flaw. I don't think it is either. I don't think that the idea here was to make the girls themselves condescending and maybe it's just like a language thing maybe I would have Mm. preferred it if there were more moments where it was like oh like other teenagers are like this yes instead of just girls I just think that there was like you know my little feminist fire was lit every time it was like oh you know girls just love flirting with boys or you know girls like have so much time to worry about their clothes because they're not in spy school and I know that this is probably very harmless on the author's part and I think so much of it is just the kind of language that we use now versus in 2006 yeah. I found myself feeling very sensitive to it and also I mean she might have just done it because like the series 
series is called Gallagher Girls. And so like the word girls just kind of was like rolling out of her pen while she was writing. Um, but that for some reason, it just was like getting to me. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. Cause I, I was picking up on that too. And it's not something I picked up on as like a 12 or 13 year old. And I think, oh, what was the book that I just read that we went on a really great character journey? I don't know, but I think one of a strength of a writer and a book is when you're reading and you're like, these things are bothering me, but you're going, oh, um, undercover bromance. <laughs> That's what I just read. Oh yeah. You were um, raving about that on Instagram. I have to read it. Yeah. It's fun because you, it acknowledges like the characters, like there's no such thing as a perfect feminist, but this character goes on a journey where you really don't like her when she's first introduced and the things that she says are very problematic, but it's with a greater purpose. So yeah, I also totally forgot how badass the ending is of this book. It's so good. Yeah, like, I forgot how action-heavy this is. Yeah, I had to reread parts of it because there was so much action. I felt like I kept getting lost in the ending. Yeah, I... I just like forgot like the things that I held on to were not these like I think writing action scenes is hard and I loved that like she's like oh yeah I forgot this like this is going to be a practical exam she gets like kidnapped off of the street by her teacher and has to like I'm like how cool yeah she gets caught in the middle of this whole action sequence and then Josh ends up at the school and her mom gives him this tea after they have like their honest heart to heart conversation so she tells him the truth about her life but then her mom gives him this tea and you know of course we're meant to believe that he will shortly forget everything that he saw while he was at Gallagher Academy. I shared already how much I loved the first sentence the first paragraph of this book but I also loved the last two paragraphs Mm. of this book and I wanted to share them because I think each one of them speaks to a different thing that we've covered pretty heavily in this conversation. So here's the second to last paragraph. Is this the world I would choose if I could go back, be ignorant and blissful and happy? If I could live a white picket life on a white picket street and be ignorant of the unpleasant deeds that have to be done in places that most people can't find on a map? I don't know. Maybe I would if my mind was like an etch-a-sketch and I could shake it all and erase all that I know. But I'm in too deep now. I know what goes bump in the night and I know how to fight it. And that I think speaks to this, you know, when I was talking about, well, maybe she's going to just try to leave spy school and move to the suburbs or sort of have one foot in and one foot out. She's like, maybe I would have changed my mind, but it's too late now. Like, here I am. This is my life. I'm going to own it. And I've become really strong because of that. And I do like the portrayal of like feminine strength that we get in this book, all kinds of strength, intellectual strength, physical strength, emotional, mental. Um, I think that's a really important piece of this book. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, I think that's why I, I loved it so much and it definitely shaped how I approached things later on in my life, totally subconsciously, but rereading it, I was like, oh wow, like I never been embarrassed by my intelligence or my drive and I've never been embarrassed to be a leader. And I think that's like, something like I will fully acknowledge like I'm, I was always like in charge of the group projects and I was involved in student council and all of that and I think it's so special when things like that can unconsciously affect us as adults and it's really fun to look back on yeah. <laughs> the final paragraph brings us full circle really to the beginning of the conversation when we were talking about the friendships um, and how much we love the girl friendships it says I don't know if Josh will ever talk to me again I don't know what he'll remember or what we'll face in co-ops or even what Mr. Smith will look like come September, but I know who will be beside me. And as every good spy knows, sometimes that's enough. Yeah, totally. She has Bex and, and Liz and that's all she really needs. Yeah. Put a bookworm and then what is uh, Bex's code name? I don't remember. Um, oh, I don't remember either. I remember bookworm. She's it, Bex is just like the coolest. Yeah. She, well, she's British. Oh, maybe is she queen? Yeah, something like that. I think she's something royal. I'm trying to look for it now, but it's. Uh, I love their friendships, and I love how it gets explored later on in the series. But which I'm so described has um, 30 days free right now. Um, it was sort of like their gift to humanity during all of this crazy time. Which hopefully, when you're listening to this, it will not be crazy. <laughs> but I'm definitely gonna check out on there to see if they have e copies of these because I'm just like I'm so ready to like go back into it. And she has other great books that are all sort of like this idea of like like there I think there's heist society is one and then embassy um, row I think is the other one yeah they're very much about this like covert lifestyle and um I think it's something that 
fascinates us. I mean, I love like the idea of um, what's happening behind closed doors. Like, I think it's, it's so cool to explore. Um, and she had one called not if I save you first, uh, which is an, takes place in Alaska, which, you know, if you know anything about me, I love books that take place in Alaska. <laughs> I did not know that about you. Oh yeah. It's, I don't know. It's like a mystical land to me. I want to visit so badly, but it's like one of my favorite places to read about. Oh, well, I will have to check that book out. So you already told us at the beginning of the episode that this book held up for you. I'm so happy to hear that. We can skip that question to wrap it up. But I would like to know what else you have been reading lately other than Gallagher Girls. I know it's been a weird reading time, um, but if there's anything that you would recommend even from the last few months that might give readers and listeners a little bit of a boost, no matter what the world looks like in a couple of weeks, I'm sure they would appreciate it. <laughs> um, well, speaking of Alaska and books set in Alaska, one of my very favorites is um, The Simple Wild by K.A. Tucker and its sequel, Wild at Heart. Both great. Um, they're sort of like new adult romances. And I just started reading A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss, which is like epic fan like appreciation. It is a very well-loved series, so I'm excited to get further into that. But my most rent-recommended book will always be Chanel Miller's Know My Name. Um, maybe not give you a boost. Sort of, it kind of will because it gives you a, a sense of hope. So that's one of my top recommendations. Um, and for something light, The Royal We, which is not new at all, but it's one of my favorites. And the sequel is coming out in July. I loved The Royal We, and I can't wait for the sequel. So you and I will have to talk about that when it comes out. Yes, I'm so excited for it. <laughs> Countdown is on. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show. I'm going to include links to all of your recommendations in the show notes for this episode, as well as a link to I Tell You I Love You, But I'd Have to Kill You. And obviously, because I'm a huge fan of your bookstagram, Read and Write, your blog, Read and Write, and your pretty new podcast, Read It or List It. I hope that listeners will check out all of those things if they haven't already. Um, I know that you're a busy lady with all of those projects, and I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to be on my show. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, this is a dream come true. I've been waiting to be on it since I discovered you. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hello SSRpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>